Shannon Cox is a leader of leaders, and she also happens to be a Leadership Circle member. Shannon is the superintendent of the Montgomery County Educational Service Center in Ohio. Jeff teases her a bit about a recent nomination for a Remarkable Woman Award, but you will notice that she is remarkable. Shannon has been a TED Talk speaker and continues to think and lead in innovative ways. She talks with us about the importance of social-emotional supports for students and educators. And her partnership with singer-songwriter Jewel is really cool. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, my name is Jeff Rose. Welcome to today's Leader Chat. I, uh, like every week, you're in for a treat. And if you don't know our guest coming up, uh, buckle up. Uh, you, we were going to have a great discussion. Um, and many of you may already, and the, the focus of today will be clear relative to why this is so important for us to talk about. As you know, we talk to leaders, we talk to authors, sometimes practitioners. The fact is, um, this guest checks all these different boxes. So number one, she is in the trenches leading. Number two, she's done some phenomenal and is going to do even more impressive work um, in the future. And she's also a member of our, so of our leadership circle, which is also great to have. So I'm going to introduce here in a second. You'll see uh, Shannon Cox is going to be coming to the screen. Now, Shannon Cox um, is currently serving as the 12th Montgomery County Educational Service Center Superintendent. This is in Ohio, by the way. And the organization's in, in their history, their first female superintendent. Shannon was featured as a TEDx Dayton speaker where she gave her TED Talk on, quote, future self. Shannon has served as an adjunct professor at the University of Dayton, where she taught various workshops, classes, and educational leadership courses. Shannon was named the 2021 Justice Apprentice Awardee by the National Association of Educational Service Agencies. Prior to her current position, she has spent time, like many of us, um, in the classroom as a teacher um, at the junior high levels, a building principal, athletic coach, a K-12 curriculum director, etc., and Word on the street is that Shannon was, um, was also named up for the, some sort of Remarkable Woman of the World Award. I'm going to ask her about that here in a second. So without further ado, uh, Shannon, welcome to today's show. I skipped over some things in your bio, and apparently you are this, um, you know, you're this remarkable woman. I already knew that, but apparently the, the world is noticing or something like that. So how are you, and, uh, and, and what's new, Shannon? Well, I am doing very well, and the world is still spinning, and uh, I'm just so happy to be here with you again. All right. Now, let's, let's talk about how remarkable Bill you are. So what is this? Uh, apparently, it hit the press recently, so um, fill us in and, and try not to blush in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I find it very fitting that yesterday was um, International Women's Day. Um, it was also my grandmother's birthday. My grandmother has not been with us for quite a few years, but she, to me, was like the epitome of a remarkable woman. She raised uh, two young um, children on her own for a while after her husband passed away at a very young age. And when she married my grandfather, she uh, took in his children and raised them as her own. And we never knew the difference as a family. So when I think about a remarkable woman, I actually think about my grandmother. But yesterday I was 
officially honored with um, the title as a finalist for the Remarkable Woman of the Dayton area. It's through a local TV station that has a national network, so it's Nextstar, and, and they have these contests throughout the nation. And so I'm very humble to have been nominated uh, by a friend and former coworker. And so I don't know that I ever think of myself as remarkable. I just do what I do and hope that it helps the world. But um, yesterday was a pretty special day. So, um, you know, I've, I've known you now for a couple of years and you are remarkable. So I'm glad that's being noticed. Congratulations. Um, can you, I just gave you a little bit of your bio. Give us a little bit more narrative. Uh, you know, your past career trajectory, you know, what, what did I miss? I mean, I mentioned you were a teacher, but um, you go back as far as you'd like. What, what has uh, helped you over time to become, I'm going to continue to tease you about this, as remarkable as you are now as a leader? Thank you. Sure. Um, <laughs> so I actually, as far as a career path is concerned, when it comes to education, it's, it's a pretty typical trajectory. I think maybe where the atypical piece comes into play is actually before I got into education. Um, I, I was a young girl who always really believed because of the men in my life that I could, I could be anything I wanted to be. Um, and so when I was the, the uh, safety patrol captain, because <laughs> my boy counterpart uh, got caught smoking behind the bus garage, it was a big deal for my principal to actually name a girl the captain of the safety patrol just because of the era that we were living in. Um, and then, you know, my, my dad fostered this, this love for dreaming and really thinking about what could be. And so I envisioned myself, that's uh, part of the future self-talk that you mentioned as far as my TED Talk goes, about being the first female fighter pilot for the United States Air Force. And, and I like to say, like, clearly that didn't happen, but here I am. So ironically, the goal was never to be the first female anything, but yet innately, that's kind of the path that I've held. So there's a little bit of just an intrinsic um, nature to me to say, well, why can't we do that? Or why can't I do that? Uh, it's something I kind of foster with my team. If we need something done, I don't think we should wait on the hero in the movie to come save us. I think we just need to do it. If it needs to be done, then do it. And so I took that same attitude as a teacher, as a coach. Um, I became a building principal. Again, very typical trajectory of, uh, of a path in education as a career path. And then I became a curriculum director, associate superintendent, and then I waited patiently um, to transition into the superintendency. So Shannon, as you know, part of the premise of our leadership circle is this concept that Leadership, especially at the school system level, is um, it's isolating. It's super lonely. I think it's the most isolating position in America, and I know that I'm biased, but I think I have some um, understanding to be able to describe that to those that would not understand. Um, that is the case, I believe, when you are the only, right? When you are the only person with a particular title, superintendent, even if you're an assistant superintendent of academics, for example, or on the operational side, you're still the only. And therefore, yes. you walk into a room and people have to make these assumptions that you have all these answers and you know all of the, the nuance and details to these complicated problems. And let's just face it, let's be honest, sometimes we don't, but you almost have to walk as though you do because you know people rely on us as leaders, so it's lonely. Now, your position 
is also not very typical and probably really misunderstood. Because not only are you the superintendent, but also describe your job to those that would not understand because your superintendent role is not the same as other superintendents. And I know there none of them are the same, but they have similarities. Your job is a little bit different that if you haven't done it, you wouldn't get it. So explain it to us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think the best way I can describe it to you is as an educational service center, I mean, let's start, let's start at the foundational. Like there are 42 states that have some sort of regional service delivery system, such as we do here in Ohio. In Ohio, we call them educational service centers. Uh, there used to be one per county. We've merged a couple of counties together. So we're, we're down to 51. But the point being, it's still the leadership among leaders. And so um, when, I, when I did receive the Justice Apprentice Award, that was one of the characters, characteristics that they gave me. It was a leader among leaders. And I take that to heart, um, especially over the last 24 months. It was a lonely place to be pre-COVID, pre-pandemic. But when you're hit with a worldwide crisis, it becomes even, even more so. Um, and so, again, just because we live here in Dayton, we have a military uh, base in our backyard. Sometimes we, we tend to hang on to military analogies. But I feel like when you're going to war, you have to have the leadership come together every now and again to make sure that that you're all leading in the same direction, or at least you know where each other are headed, right? Um, you don't necessarily all have to do the exact same thing, but you have to have someone, someone to circle the troops, the leadership troops, to make sure that we all have the right information and we all know what direction you know we're headed in, so that we don't turn the circle, you know, we don't circle the wagons and turn inward on each other because that would be a very bad thing. So I think back to. Colin Powell, one of one of my, you know, just I, I, I just found Colin Powell to be um, an amazing mentor. Not that I ever I did meet him in person once, but he he never gave professional mentorship to me. But I I learned from him. I took his his readings, uh, his books that he authored and and listened to his his talks. But I do have friends that actually were able to talk to him one time and ask a very simple question in his presence. And it was, what one piece of advice would you give other leaders, regardless if they were military or not? And when I heard him answer this, it stuck. It resonated for a very long time. But he said, you know, you have to be ready to go to war with only 80 percent of the information. And so you alluded to that, like people look to us as leaders as if we have all of the answers. We don't have all of the answers, but you have to be able to put the left foot in front of the right foot, mission minded, but move it forward. And those words from Colin Powell resonated through the last 24 months. They resonated through my whole career, but they resonated pretty, pretty deeply um, over the last 24 months. So it is a lonely, it is a lonely place. And my job, and I take it again, I take pride in it. My job is to make sure that the leaders aren't lonely for long, that I can bring them together and make certain that they have the resources and the capacity that they need in order to carry out their mission in their districts. And, and, and working with and, 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 you know, rallying or coordinating leader to leader um, it is actually pretty complicated work, as you know. Um, you know, leaders naturally have to have some very strong opinions serving their communities. And in your area alone, the communities are dramatically different, right? Which requires a different strategy and opinion perspective. And then your job 
is to help all of these ships as a fleet at yes. least move forward in a similar direction with similar pacing and so forth so that you can serve them and they can serve each other. Did I, did I say that appropriately? Absolutely. And I would say the only other thing that should be added is so that we can serve the students of this county and this state um, and, and make certain that they have the resources and the capacity that they need. Um, that, it mean, that means making certain that our educators have care wrapped around them, that they understand what the mission is as well, and that they can help us move forward. It means that making certain that our community at large, um, really, we were just organizing leaders and school districts. We were organizing and, and helping facilitate leadership conversations, leadership chats, if you will, um, with our political leaders so that they knew what laws needed to be enacted to help us get through the last 24 months. And again, I, I think we're using the last 24 months as sort of the specific example, but these could be generalized throughout any parts of our career. Um, but we also were helping, you know, our community organizations, our public health department, our county government, you know, making certain that everybody really understood where we were, what we needed, and then helping us get there. And, and I was the conduit in my specific county for those conversations, as were my counterparts all across the state. So let, let's talk about moving forward for a minute. I, um, I have the benefit now, the, the blessing uh, in, in Heifetz's words, of being able to spend a lot of time up on a balcony, um, looking, observing, researching, um, and supporting uh, leaders. In the meantime, you are um, on the dance floor and occasionally trying to escape to the balcony and then maybe making it four stairs up before being dragged back down. The last two years, we've mentioned, you've mentioned, have been just brutally hard. Here's my question, though. What have you learned about leadership, and how do you think that has shaped your future perspective? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. So the, the first thing I learned, and, and you read a little bit of this in my bio, so... Um, I took the superintendent position in the 1920 school year. So I made it through three quarters of the year before the world just kind of fell apart. So um, quickly I had to learn that it didn't matter as a leader how long you've been doing it. It didn't matter what background you came, came with or came from. Uh, what mattered is that we need leaders. We need people who will stand in the space and hold space for others to receive the things that they need and to make certain that we also hold space to leverage the voices that need to be heard during that time. And again, the, the number one thing that I learned is it didn't matter that it was my first year in the role. It mattered that I carried out my leadership duties. So I, I have this uh, thing I mention often, and it kind of aligns to what you just said, is that you know, there was leading pre and during, and then there's post, right? Yes. Post is really difficult time. I, I actually think that um, in many ways, we don't, we don't know the answer for the future, and I think that's okay. I think that it's our job as leaders to actually become comfortable with not knowing and being able to go and listen to a lecture on what we're supposed to do moving forward, but naturally, we're gonna have to be nimble and figure things out as they go and rely on each other a little bit differently than we have in the past. But what is the roadmap? Who knows the exact roadmap? I just don't think we know. So how has the last couple of years shaped your ability to 
be okay with not knowing exactly the steps, the strategy, the protocols to move forward and being comfortable with that kind of level of ambiguity. Yeah, I, 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 as you're talking, I'm having almost like a visceral effect of, of that anxiousness inside. Um, from, from March of 2020, when we didn't know how to shut down schools and we didn't know how to do online learning at a one-to-one basis, to the fact that now we can kind of look over our shoulder and say, oh, yes, um, we are smart. We were nimble. We could pivot. And when people come together, we can make it happen. So I think there's kind of two aspects, Jeff, if I can, for that. Um, The first one is, while we don't know what lies ahead for us, I think we need to make certain, and this this is critical for all of us, we need to make certain that we don't miss the opportunity that we get to be the architects of what education looks like, sounds like, and feels like from here on out. Uh, for so long, I feel like we have just gotten trapped in the what was, should be, because it always has been kind of thinking in that mental loop. Um, we all still pretty much operate on an agrarian calendar, and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why, except for sports schedules. Um, we have we have school days, time in, time out, bells ring in certain cases while people move. Um, to your point, you know, we have a lot of lines instead of circles in, on the inside of our school walls. And what we've learned over the last, what's become abundantly clear and we are keenly aware of is it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we need to engage students wherever they are. Learning, be, learning needs to be the constant. Time and environment should be the variables, not the other way around. So we get to be the architects of that. So in some cases, it doesn't matter that there's not a roadmap. We need to build the roadmap. Um, We also know, though, the flip side of that is we all know that our brains are meant to be tribal and and community-based. And so we have to ensure that we're not going it alone that we make certain that we are working with our communities, whether that be our school-based community, our classroom community, or our our county level community or statewide community. We have to be working with our communities. The other thing that we know about human behavior and just sort of the, the, the mental map of how we feel comfortable and we can lower that anxiety that I was talking about before, regardless of your age, regardless of your brain development, predictability helps. And so we have normalized unprecedented behavior for the last 24 months, which means we've been living in this state of anxiety for for too long. And so we need to get back to a point where we can have predictable, patterned, uh, we work with Dr. Perry, he would say rhythmic um, opportunities for all humans to engage in. And, And so there's this fine balance between being the architects of the future of education, but not taking too long because we need to know what to expect or we're going to continue to have these very dysregulated humans walking around our our earth together. Well, this is a challenge because I think you just brought up two to three other leader chats uh, within the context (laughs) of this. Um, You know, clearly what I hear you saying is, you know, that Um, Number one, I think maybe you're a bit of a a futurist as it relates to being an educational thinker. The dilemma is you're also saying we do need some sense, uh, some semblance of stability and tradition in order for us to move forward or else we may be leaders that would look over our shoulders and realize no one's following. 
Correct. Right? That's exactly right. Don't get too far ahead. Okay, so in, in 2019, you participated in this TED Talk, right? And I, preparing students for careers that don't exist, right? Um, and now you've partnered with singer-songwriter Jewel on a social-emotional curriculum. So I guess, what are your thoughts relative to innovations in education? And I'm going to I'm going to talk about this, and then eventually I want to circle back to learning more ab about this curriculum. But, you know, there's a lot of innovations happening. Um, you've been kind of at the forefront on some of these. And what are your thoughts, and maybe bridge the gap between your TED Talk and what's occurring now? Yeah, so unfortunately for us here in the Dayton region, um, prior, you know, on, on the heels of the recession recovery, uh, we had a lot of job loss here in the Dayton region. And so kind of need to go back to maybe 2008 to 10-ish. And what we were just feeling in our student population and our, our family members that were engaged in school communities is there was, again, a, a buildup of anxiousness. And again, I think we need to remember like way before the pandemic, like a decade before the pandemic, we were still in this region fighting some really social economic um, impacts that really had a negative impact in, in our communities. And so we were seeing students, and, and again, children have the innate ability to take what's happening in the world and kind of make it their own and put themselves in the center of it. So we were seeing an increase in suicidal ideation. We were seeing an increase in uh, drug abuse and misuse. We were seeing um, our foster care system being really taken to task during the opioid epidemic and Dayton was right at the crosshairs of that throughout the nation. And so we realized as educators, especially in the educational service agency that we run, we were hearing from our school leaders, hey, we need help. We need something that can help our teachers because that's where, that's where kids are. They're, they're at school most of their waking hours. But we need help making certain that our educators are resourced enough not being counselors, not being therapists, not being medical professionals, but we need them to be resourced with something to help their students work their way through life challenges. Because what we know, Jeff, we are never going to get rid of life challenges, right? Like, I hope we never, ever, ever have to go through another pandemic, ever. Um, but the, we're, we're going to have tornadoes that come through like we did in May of 2019 here in Dayton. We're going to have hate rallies, um, although I really wish we would it, but we're going to have life challenges. There's going to be job loss. There's going to be other things. So we're never going to stop the challenges that life brings us, but we have to have humans, both the little ones and the big ones that have the resources to be able to navigate that. So over and over again, it just became again, abundantly clear that as a service agency, we needed to create some resources, some tools that could go into school. And let me be clear. They were not to be one more thing to do. They were not to be, how am I going to pay for that? They were not to be, when is, when is that supposed to happen during the day? When am I going to provide the training? It, was, it couldn't be something else. It couldn't be another barrier. And so I, I did have a mutual friend with the singer-songwriter, Jewel, and we were able to connect. She's been a mindfulness advocate for years and years and years. Um, she tells her own story, but she credits mindfulness for really saving her own life. And so we, we joined forces and said, what can we do? And so we did create an integrated language arts curriculum that had all of those SEL components built into it, in addition to future self, because we do have students who think that the rite of passage into adulthood is death or jail. 
And we needed to give them some sort of hope outside of that. And for us, um, for me specifically, that's making certain that you can answer that question, what quality of life do you want to have in the future? We no longer need to be asking students, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's an antiquated, it's just not the right, it's not the right question any longer. But what quality of life do you want to have? What quality of life do you see yourself when you close your eyes and envision yourself in the future? What's that quality of life? And that that takes on a different perspective. So Jewel helped us create that curriculum. Um, and it's it's been it's been beautiful. And I'm so thankful that we were able to do it pre-pandemic. Okay, so let's talk, you know, pre, during, and post a little bit. It's yeah. it, it's true to your point that um, there have been and there will always be these incredible challenges that create uh, trauma in our lives and then therefore a need for social-emotional supports. Um, in the meantime, um, now is a bit different than it once was. And so potentially, well, not potentially, there is an increased need. And we're seeing yeah. the data that is really obvious about that. The the so social emotional supports in schools, it may be quote trendy, but it's not a political Trojan horse towards other things, which sometimes it's being yeah. described as. I don't care on what side of the fence you're on politically, that does not mean you don't have social emotional challenges, um, and they're yeah. increasing everywhere, especially in this country. So, um, how do you describe this differently now because of the circumstances and what we know compared to one when we, you know, maybe we're first trying to launch this when maybe it didn't even have a political attack attached to it? Yeah, when we first launched it, to your point, it was it was kitschy, right? It was the trendy thing. Um, although the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning Network Castle has been around for you know decades. Yes. Um, but we realized that it that's why it was so very important pre-pandemic, during pandemic and post-pandemic that we not think of this as something separate. It had to be integrated. It's why we integrated it into the language arts curriculum, because everyone knows. And I think we can all come to consensus, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, regardless of your age, regardless of gender, regardless of the subgroup you may identify with. We can all agree that reading, writing, and communicating are life skills that we need to be healthy, happy humans. We need that for employability purposes. We need it for life skills in general. We need it to communicate with our partners, um, our family members. So it's, it's a global life skill. doesn't matter who you are. You need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to read. You need to be able to write. So for us, it really just fit into an integrated approach. And post-pandemic, I would say what we're now seeing is the need for explicit skills. Um, forget the academics for just a second, because if we are not taken care of as human, as humans, if our needs are not met, if we don't have a sense of belonging, um, in some cases during the pandemic, if we weren't fed, if we didn't have houses that were stable housing that we knew we were coming home to every day, um, it didn't matter what we were teaching, we weren't going to learn it. So I think the concept is the same. The shift in focus is what's different now. We have a lot of folks out there that are going to talk about learning loss and they're going to talk about it through research data, all of which is true. I would suggest we need to start thinking about learning loss as the second goal and taking care of the humans as the primary goal. 
And we can't do that without just basic competencies. You can call them social emotional competencies. You can call them life skills. You can call them employability skills. Um, we need certain basic skills as humans in order to navigate life. SELLA is the acronym. S-E-L-L-A, right? We did not get very creative with the name. It is literally social, emotional learning, language, arts. Got it. And I, I like the what you just described in terms of how we prioritize within that, I think is really important, right? It's I can see the attachment that you've created there. Uh, but in the meantime, prioritizing taking care of people um, is how we knew this prior to, but now... Um, if we don't prioritize taking care of our people, um, I I worry about what academics would actually mean. That's in the right. Future, right. So um, your job, as you work um, to support students, you work through adults, right? That's right. You do, um, which makes your your life challenging because adults bring a lot more baggage to the table. Uh, however, let me say this: uh, adults right now are also struggling. What, what, what have you learned relative to social emotional supports of not just, um, not just students, but teachers, educators? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, it goes back to a lesson we learned pre-pandemic. As we started down this journey with Sela, um, we, we went straight for the students because that's what we do. And it blew up in our faces. Uh, the social emotional work or the life skill work that we were doing with the students triggered the adults. And again, this was pre-pandemic. This was just, you know, quote unquote, normal life. And so we backed it up. Well, we worked with some of our friends at, at the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. Um, and they said, oh, whoa, whoa, you do a year of adult work first. Oh. So we learned the hard way, <laughs> um, but we, we backed the train up. We went back to the adults, we did the adult work first, and then we went to the students. And it was a much more stable environment at that point in time. Uh, the challenge in schools becomes, and it's gonna be even more so now, um, is because you've gotta make sure that as new adults come into your ecosystem of education, you gotta catch them up or get them up to speed. And there really just aren't enough hours in the day, days in the year, contracts, you know, all of those things. But that's that's why we're smart people in leadership positions. We'll figure that out. But during the pandemic, we also realized, again, we were so focused on the family unit. And we had never been that focused on the family unit. It was one of those surprise learnings during the pandemic because we weren't just helping children eat at school. We were helping families eat at home. We weren't just providing internet services um, and, and device acquisition, you know, for students to learn. We were helping families have internet access and device acquisition for telehealth, for their own jobs. And so it became this wider, broader perspective that we, we shouldn't let go of. It's a lesson we should not let go of. It's not just about working with the students. It's about making certain that the adults on the inside of the school are cared for that they start their days with circles, not rows, mm -hmm. that we check in with them very intentionally. We make certain that we provide you know, care and can wrap around them. But then even at a broader spectrum, how are we, how are we engaging with families? Family engagement is not a new term. Um, that is something that's been around forever. But once we know it, you can't unknow it. So we have to now think differently 
that now that we're back in school, and I put loose air quotes around that, how do we continue to engage with our families and make certain that they have what they need so that their students can come to school and be successful? I, I can only assume after your learning and, and willingness and ability to describe that learning of needing to start with adults, that that is now making a, a difference specific to the support of, you know, SEL supports for kids. I mean, that's right. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, this better than, better than most, um, we provide this leader chat content, um, which, which we are proud of. What we're really proud of is when we get leaders around a table last week, we had a, uh, leaders from all over the country here circled up around tables, helping one another through these protocols. In fact, one thing we actually did was we had them in rooms watching these leader chats. It wasn't the watching, it was the discussion afterwards relative to what that meant for their leadership that made the content really pop, which by the way is what kids need to do, right? They need to own the content and attach it to their own schema. But let's pretend you and I are around a table. We are with a um, group of leaders. What would be kind of your, you know, pragmatic Brass tax advice, I ask this of all of our guests, to them at this point in time. What would you say? So I've been asked this question a couple of times just over the last couple of weeks and for different populations. But I think there's there's literally maybe two or three points that I think are, are super important at this time for leaders that, again, are, are pragmatic. One and I've said it already today, I'm going to say it again. Say it again, yeah. We were in a movie, and you were at that moment where you're waiting for the hero to swoop in and save the day. They're not coming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We need to be our own heroes, and we need to make certain that we look around and take stock of who's looking at us and put the proverbial cape on and move forward. So, so that's one. Don't don't wait for someone else to come and save the day. Two, we all come to the table with some sort of privilege. We all have circles that we can lean into in our lives. Spend the privilege. Use the circles. Um, clearly use it for good, and we know that, right? But lean into those circles. We we uncovered some major societal gaps inequities in our communities over the last 24 months, things we knew, but we had never seen the way we felt it before. And it was time for us to spend our privilege to lean into those circles and and make certain that every person in the 21st century has access, for instance, to, to food, to nutritious food, that has access to high quality broadband internet services that has access to devices. Those are not luxury items any longer in the 21st century. Um, And the third piece of advice I would say is make sure you take care of yourself. And maybe that should be the first one. Um, But you have to be able to take care of yourself in order to take care of others. We have a training we do. um, Again, not real creative in the title, but put your own oxygen mask on first. The, The flight attendants tell us that every time we get on a plane. It used to just be something that we that we heard, it, it had to be something you were practicing on a daily basis over the last you know, couple of years. Um, but that shouldn't be just a pandemic response. 
that should be something you do all of the time. And I think the the most effective leaders are exactly the ones who do take care of themselves. Well, I, the, I'm just going to add to your three points uh, because I because I want to. So this this last piece around leaders taking care of themselves professionally, also personally, but professionally speaking, you know, we 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 read in the 1960s is before our time, of course, and that had to do with what they call the tyranny of the urgent. And the concept yes. at the time was that let's not let's not let what seems urgent take over what is actually important. And unfortunately. Um, actually, I would say the, the majority of leaders right now are in this sort of race where they're only taking care of urgent thing after urgent thing, and they are forgetting about the work of their own development and learning, which, by the way, is going to impact kids. Whether Absolutely. it's today, it's definitely going to be in the future. And so if our leaders don't carve out space, time, capacity to focus on their own leadership, I guarantee we will feel the effects in the future. And that is really important point that so many people struggle with because they are there to serve. So they think my job to serve is to be as busy as possible, putting out as many fires as possible, so bring them on, which they are coming. And that's not necessarily going to help us in the future if our leaders are not learning, and by the way, improving themselves every single week. That's right, You've, that's a, it's so important. Um, the professional learning we've always valued as leaders. Um, most of us teach those classes, right? But very often we don't actually step out and say, okay, what do I need to prune? Like prune the branches so new growth can take um, take effect. And also I, I, I come back to that personal care. You have to have time where that brain of yours can just shut down and and rest because again, in brain development, we know when it can rest, it actually becomes more effective when it's ready to be used again. And you're never as a leader gonna, the needs are not gonna stop, they're just not. So if you don't take the time to press pause or stop, <laughs> one or the other, um, and you kind of have to figure that out on your own, whether you're, you know, I've had people say, well, just don't check email, check email only twice a day. That gives me more anxiety. Right. So I will check email all day long if I if it keeps me from being anxious. But um, I always try to find something I'm really not good at and then go participate in that. So it takes over all senses. Right. I have to I have to hear the instructor. I have to think about the new vocabulary that I'm learning. Um, I have to practice a new skill. Um, it, it just you need to find something that your entire body can be engaged in that you're not very good at yet. and then. For me, that's what works. Uh, for other people, it's just, you know, they already know that running is a really good exercise for them or reading a book is something that, you know, can allow their metacognition to kind of stop for a minute and, and reset. But you do have to do some soul searching and know what works for you. So Shannon Cox, you're a leader, you're a futurist, you are an award winner, you are um, an innovator, and, you know, uh, clearly you're remarkable. So, um, hey, I want to yeah. say thank you for your time. Um, this, this kind of content that we're providing our members and, and beyond um, will be extremely helpful. And uh, we appreciate what you're doing and, of course, what you're contributing to us. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And with great appreciation, thank you for having me. Okay. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, um, know that we value you. Um, 
the work that you're doing is as leaders is noble, as educators also noble. Um, I know that you've appreciated hearing from Shannon as I have, and we hope you have a wonderful week. Everyone, be well.